Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Welcome to Yahoo Sports NFL Podcast. I'm Yahoo Senior NFL writer Therese Paler. Here my main man, a fellow senior NFL writer, Charles Robinson. Here in Arizona, NFL owners meetings have come to a close. And Charles, you and I both saw a pretty interesting sight yesterday morning, which was Sean Payton early stumping at the coach's breakfast for a rule change. Did you ever think in any universe you'd see Sean Payton speaking to the media before he had to at the coach's breakfast? Because I, I walked in there. I'm like, wait, he's already here? What is going on? <laughs> yeah, I think this is uh, – Sean Payton really liked the media for the first time I've ever seen in a long time at <laughs> first these First time meetings. in years. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, he definitely courted the media at this one. It was uh, interesting to see how many times, you know, whether it was in the – you know, the hallways of the Biltmore or on the sidewalks outside, you know, I think he did almost every TV hit he could have possibly have done. Um, and then, as you said, you know, you, you got to that coach's breakfast where guys are notorious for showing up late. Uh, if by at the all, way, sometimes <laughs> one of them, one of them, by the way, Mike Tomlin walks in 40 minutes late, 40 minutes, not late, a care yeah. in the world. Not yeah. a care in the world. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Sean Payton, I mean, at least 20 minutes early and, it was funny because I just thought to myself, he knows exactly what he's doing. Like he, he oh, wants to get, yeah. I mean, this replay thing was so important to him. And I know he knew if I get to these meetings, if I get to this breakfast 20 minutes early, there's going to be 50 reporters standing around with nobody to talk to. And I'm going to be a coach. And so what every, and you know, what do you naturally do? You go, all right, well, I'm going to stand over by this guy. And, you know, we'll engage him until whoever I want to see comes in. And, um, you know, I think that was part of the big the big push, the big ploy that ultimately worked off, worked out with the the instant replay changes. And he got an assist, I think, from Jason Garrett. Uh, you know, your guy, Andy I heard about Reed, that. Bill Belichick, yep. number of guys. And I, I, I think what I wrote was I think the ownership. There were executives, and then I think there were even some coaches who were really resistant to this. And this was this was the top rungs of that coaching fraternity, the guys with the gravitas and yeah. a, and and the, the long tenured guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah. think of the all the years that Jason Garrett has been a head coach, Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, right. and then Sean Payton. We're talking about guys that are, you know, nine that's almost like nine forty to, years. That's a years? lot. Six, a that's lot, a lot of years. Yeah, a lot of head coaching years. So. To me, it was interesting to see that head coaching fraternity basically to say, you know what, 
we decided we need this and we're not going to let you screw this up. <laughs> it was like the alpha dogs just brought everybody along. We were just like, listen, this is going to happen. When when Andy and Bill Belichick and Peyton get up and say it, that, that, that makes it happen. And I, I think at the end of the day, I think it's a good change in the sense that, you know, they all feel strongly about it. Okay, let's see how it works. One thing I thought was pretty interesting about it, though, um, Bovada put out odds kind of related to this new rule change. Mm-hmm. And they actually set an over-under for how many pass interferences are going to be called or overturned via replay in week one. And first of all, can you guess what that might be, Charles? Can you guess what the over-under is? Oh, boy. So let's see. Week Just one, yeah. 16 yeah. games. I bet you the over-under, I would say, you know, I'm going to say a challenge a game, 16. Okay, it's half that. Eight and a half. Really? Right? I think that's so low. I, actually, I do, too. I think I would take the over, right? Over, yeah. Uh, the reason I asked you that is because I was trying to – I want to illustrate the point that I really feel like this is going to get called more than people think. And I think it's going to have an impact on the game in the sense that imagine it's the end of the game or late in the game, a crucial situation. Let's say the offense scores a touchdown. Let's say OBJ catches a touchdown, right? A smart coach – because there's contact on every single play, might a smart defensive coach might challenge it and hope for a Hail Mary. I, I think this is going to be really interesting to see. And I also think that it's going to, I think it's interesting that this is a one-year deal for now. How much concern do you think there could or should be about this rule potentially being exploited? I think there should be concern I'm going to get specific here. Like, I think it's more granular than maybe people are looking at it. I would say, you know what? If you have really physical corners, but if you also have Mike Evans, Mike Williams, you have big wide receivers who use their bodies to make catches, box guys out. All of a sudden, you're starting to look at some of these bigger wide receivers where you say, I have a body advantage. And those guys do push off. You're going to see, I think people are underplaying the defensive aspects of this. Everybody's talking about, well, you know, the the NFC title game, obviously that's where a defensive player interferes. But I think there's going to be an emphasis. Like you take the Patriots, I guarantee you, Bill Belichick sitting there going, you know what? Let's figure out how defensively we can use this to our advantage. And we'll start watching on tape. Who are the offensive guys that we're playing this week who are inclined to make contact before a catch? They'll use that to their advantage. I think people are underplaying the defensive end of this. Here's the thing. My first reaction would be to think this might hurt the Patriots because we know last year they were so man heavy. But for Belichick to be one of the people stumping for it, you know he's not doing that without having something in his hand about how he's going to account for it or how he's going to deal with it. I love the point you made about the physical receivers because I think some of these guys – (laughs) <laughs> you know, they get open almost every play with a little push here, a little shove here. Right. Um, Mike Evans is extremely physical at the top of his routes. And you know who else? There's also some, like, draft-eligible guys right now that are pretty physical in that type of way. I wonder if teams are thinking ahead about that and wondering if, hey, if you got to use that kind of – if you have to get open being physical, I wonder if that hurts some guy's draft stock, like uh, Debo Samuel. From right. South Carolina, he's very physical at the top of his routes, right? So I, I, I think there's a whole box here that is going to be unpacked. I kind of can't wait to see what it looks like. But I also wonder this. Let me throw this at you because you, you, you correctly called this last preseason. What are the chances that this is called a lot 
during the preseason, but then once the regular season starts after maybe some hubbub or something, it starts being dialed back a little bit. I think it will be called as you perceive it. I think it'll be called a lot in the preseason because people will try to figure out what does this mean? What's the line? I, I think what was interesting is we're going to get deep into the weeds in terms of judgment calls because now coaches have to understand and players have to understand what's the line. So say you throw the flag, say you're Andy Reid, you throw the flag. Now you have an official who's sitting there and it's an unflagged play, or even if it is a flagged play, now they're looking and they're saying, okay, well, technically even a tiny push off can be construed as pass interference, right? By either the defensive player or the offensive player. If their hands by one party, and maybe it's not an exchange of hands, can that be called? That I think that's where we're going to get into the nuance that we don't know. We don't know what we don't know right now, and we have to figure that out. And so if you're Deshaun Jackson, you're sitting there going, if a guy puts his hands on me, I'm going to say, that's pass right now. Boom, throw it, throw it. Every single time I'm out here, if I'm going, let's say I have a stop and go, or I just have a straight go route, and there's a guy who's trying to hit me outside of the five yards or whatever, or, or touching me when the ball's coming, it's over, right? You throw the flag. We don't know. Maybe that's how lightly is this going to be called, I guess, is the question. I, I think what it does, and one of the reasons maybe Belichick is in on it, because we think of the profile, this typical New England Patriots receiver in general, right? These guys are really good route runners um, who, who are really good out of their breaks those guys are going to be really difficult to cover with this rule. Right. And I know right. that goes both ways, but if you look at like Dami Amendola or you look at Julian Edelman, Edelman's not getting open by being physical. He's, he's getting open by being crafty with his routes and just right. athleticism. Like, right. Can you imagine trying to defend Tyreek Hill on a nine route if you can't run with him now? You get what I'm saying? I, I think yeah. Yeah. This, is, this is a great development for speedy receivers and guys who get open with athleticism and route running. Well, and not only that, I was kind of thinking about this as it passed. If I was the Patriots, I would leave Rob, Rob Gronkowski alone for a while, and then I would go back in July. You know, say, <laughs> say it's the beginning yeah. of July, and I would go to Rob, and I would say, Rob, let me show you all the cut-ups last year that will now be pass interference with you. Because a lot of a lot of teams like play that. Rob really physically. Linebackers yeah. do, safeties do, corners like Jalen Ramsey. You put certain guys on Rob Gronkowski, he gets beyond that 10 yards, and they're beating him up. Right. I think for the Patriots, I'm almost looking at this rule change and saying, look, Rob, we know you're tired. You're probably beat up. Now you've had an offseason to dial it back, probably do your thing, not do anything. I think you do the Tony Gonzalez pitch that the Atlanta Falcons did where you're like, listen, just come back. We'll dial back your practice reps. We'll do this. We'll, we'll start to tailor some of this for you. And guess what? A rule just changed that's going to help you. Yeah. So give us one more year with this rule and let me see what Rob Gronkowski looks like with this new rule in place. I, I think that that's another way that benefits the Patriots. I, this is going to be fascinating to have many um, – many different terms because to me it, it kind of speaks to the continued evolution of the game as far as de-emphasizing the physicality now that you have an opportunity to challenge this physicality on both sides it's going to come down even more to I'm a better route runner I'm a better athlete like who who's the better skilled player mm-hmm. and this is going to hurt some corners that can't turn and run you know I <laughs> they're, they're the guy the four six guys in the draft, okay, 
You know, you running a four five eight or something, four five nine. Gonna have to play a lot of zone, buddy, because I think this is gonna be really interesting to see. So we're we're just now start between you and I talking about it. We're just now kind of trying to figure out what these far reaching effects are. But I think there's gonna be even more things that we haven't even discussed yet. Oh yeah, and oh, I, can't, I can't. I mean, I I think it's gonna be fascinating because some of those same coaches who are caping for it today. Guaranteed, they're going to get screwed by this rule at some point in a critical juncture of the season. If if I was an offense, I would start running more complex routes. I will say that you you to me it gives the advantage to once again the offense that knows where guys are going. Right? You know, like yeah. hey, if you're if you're trying to de-emphasize contact again, that's just another advantage for the guys who know what routes exactly. they're going to be running. So I exactly you know, I'd, I'd yeah. start throwing more complexity in there. Yeah, no, for sure. And maybe some of these bigger corners <laughs> might have to drop 10 pounds, might have to drop five. I mean, being able to turn and run and, and flip your hips and click and close is more important than ever. Yeah. Yo, three cone and short shuttle is yeah, already dude. important. It's going to get a lot more important <laughs> for the guys in the secondary. Because <laughs> think about it, man. Like, I wonder, I mean, not to belabor this point, but I wonder now if you feel a little bit more comfortable with like a little guy on a big guy if you're a defensive, if you're defense, right? Like, do you feel more comfortable putting, say, Jalen Ramsey on on Gronk, for instance? Just mm-hmm. Jalen's an elite corner, but you get my point. Like, if if Gronk, he, you know, Gronk's not going to separate from Jalen. Right. He'll have to win jump balls and box him out. Mm-hmm. how's that going to be called? Like, what's the burden? It's a judgment call, but I wonder if even the refs are just going to say, okay, it has to be very, very clear. It can't right. be a little. So it's fascinating. And I, I can't really wait to see how that shakes out. Another rule change that was proposed, but tabled was the Chiefs, which was they wanted to give teams an opportunity, both teams an opportunity to possess the ball in overtime. Right. Uh, it was table because the chiefs want to do like more work on it. And it'll probably be discussed again in late May to me. Like we all know why the chiefs are proposing this, right? It's because they wanted a chance to get Patrick Mahomes the ball at the end of the game in the end of, in the AFC championship game. But I actually really like, I, I like the concept of it in the sense that, especially if it's just a playoff sort of deal, because I love playoff football. And I think given a chance to see more playoff football, I'll take it. I'm in. So I, I'm interested to see what kind of changes they make and maybe down the road, or if not this year, that has a chance to get through. I think it'll get through. I think it's, like you said, I mean, sometimes these rules, I think teams table them because they know th- they have a shot, but they mm-hmm. want to give it the best shot possible. They're sitting there in the room and they're hearing some of the criticisms and they're going, okay, what these people are talking about is just a small tweak. Let's pull it back, make the small yeah. tweaks, and reintroduce it at a later date, which which it'll pass. I was disappointed, to be honest with you, that the fourth and fifteen onside kick rule um, that would have been failed. fun, right? I, I yeah. what, what pisses me off is you get a seven to one vote amongst the competition committee to move it forward, and then the owners just slaughter it, and and you get John Mara <laughs> from the New York Giants coming out and saying. What are we, you know, arena football? Well, guess what? You know what? Sometimes yes. these things yes. make it more exciting <laughs> for your fans. It's okay. Look, it is. onside kicks are not successful anymore. Like, it's gotten to the point now where it's harder for them to be successful. I would rather see teams sit there and go, okay, let's figure out fourth and 15 packages, which, guess what? Not only does that have application in that 
you know, let's let's sub it in for an onside kick, but it has application in real games. So not only are you improving the onside kick aspect, yeah. you're potentially improving real game aspects as well. It's also doing one more thing, potentially reducing the number of concussions. Right. Which is something right. that the league is very concerned with. Charles, just to be clear, can you explain like what the rule is? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So basically what it said was with onside kicks, starting with the last two minutes of the fourth quarter, you could use one, you could decide one time in a game to, instead of attempting an onside kick, you could take the ball at your own 35 and attempt to convert a fourth and 15. However you want, draw play, whatever. I mean, draw up a fourth and 15 play. And if you convert it, you just continue that drive as you would if you recovered an onside kick. And if you don't convert it, the opposing defense, they the opposing team just takes over the ball wherever the ball is blown dead. See, I hate onside kicks. I just, I don't see the negative to this proposal, to be honest. You know, I'm pretty conservative about the game of football, but I don't see the negatives to the proposal, man. Like, I think that could be a lot of fun. And I think it would have give, it would make games more open in the sense that maybe you're not quite as out of it as you'd otherwise be because onside Mm -hmm. kicks aren't very successful. It's a hard play to make. They're not fun to watch. This, on the other hand, is fun. And it also emphasizes the importance of the quarterback more. Because I tell you what, you probably feel a heck of a lot more confident with an Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes than just a regular guy. And it also has the impact of potentially limiting concussions. We know that, you know, concussions are a part of uh, kickoffs and onside kicks. So, look, to me, I, I, I hope that the owners reconsider that down the road, man, because the coaches are for it. They know what they're doing in this sense. 31 to 1, right? Like, wasn't mm-hmm. how, how it was, that's pretty, to not even sniff it. Like, guys, this would improve your product. I don't get it. Yeah. It promotes creativity. So, you know, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see um, if this is something that pops up against down, again down the line. I think it's interesting that it was a 7 to 1 vote to approve it by the competition committee, and then the owners shoot it down. Yeah. One, one thing I did want to ask you about these meetings only because it wasn't something that I think there was a lot of talk about it because so many other things happened. The gambling aspect, you wrote a column about this, and actually something I saw today was really interesting. I think it was the Wizards and the Capitals are talking about putting a sports book inside the arena in like their own sort of bar and grill area that is is you can enter it from <laughs> the outside and then not have access to the arena. But then they're also talking about potentially creating internal arena access to it what's interesting to me is a sports book we've gone from like no gambling stay away to now they're like well maybe we can put sports books inside the arenas themselves like this is really moving quickly and you know why it's moving quickly because it stands to be unbelievably lucrative Uh, the american gaming association estimated that the legalization of sports betting nationwide could result in profits of up to 2.3 billion for the for the National Football League. Interestingly enough, the league the NFL is going to be the most conservative when it comes to that especially early. You know, these are some of these other leagues, baseball, the NBA, they still don't do as well money-wise as the NFL does, right? Um mm-hmm. even though they might be more progressive especially the NBA. The NFL is the king when it comes to cash in this country. So, they're they're going to be moving a little bit slower than some of these other leagues. But they but they are moving the ball down the field. Um, that's what the column was about. On Monday, the owners spent about an hour 
just kind of want to update on this, which shows you, you know, that's a decent chunk of time to be discussing an issue. So the point is, like, they're devoting resources and time to it. A couple big takeaways from the people who are in the room. First of all, teams can pursue individual sponsorships with casinos, right? That's the first thing. The Dallas Cowboys have already done that. The league has a league-wide sponsorship with Caesars, and other teams have the potential to do this. We will see other teams link up with sponsorships with casinos. The second thing is, and this was, this took up most of the hour, actually. There's all the different ways the league is looking into how they can protect it from the bad actors the and all the criticism and all the kind of bad stuff you see happen in Europe, where you have game and match-fixing scandals, even right. here with the Tim Donahue situation. I talked to Mark Davis about it afterward, and, like, that was the first thing he mentioned, right? So, like, the point of that is, like, all these guys kind of understand, like, that's the thing they're scared about. And, you know, whatever they do going forward. And the big thing is to them, the way to prevent that is to get on a nationwide level legislation, not statewide legislation. Right. Federal legislation. Right. Federal. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. One other thing I wanted to bring up too, uh, to pivot off of gambling that that I think is really interesting. What did you think of Cliff Kingsbury? I I, I think he poorly... <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I know you know exactly where I'm going with this. I think he poorly labeled it. But what did you think of Cliff Cliff Kingsbury saying that he was going to allow players to take, quote unquote, cell phone breaks or, I mean, really what amounted to social media breaks uh, during now NFL team meetings? And, And what I thought was it was interesting to me, the increments of time that he talked about. It wasn't like, yeah, oh, hey, every hour and a half or whatever. It was like every like. 20 to 30 minutes <laughs> like guys yeah. are gonna get is is yeah. is social media it's a little scary is social media the tobacco of our time like is it like you I, know I the co-workers so. that you would see outside well, like huddling around <laughs> like in the freezing cold like now we're gonna be outside in the freezing cold like with our phones like oh my god i gotta tweet this right now i think it's even worse in, in a sense that it's not just social media sugar as well i, I think i think sugar and social media are the two things that people in 30 years are just going to be like, huh, what the hell were they doing? You know, social media has had an impact on our governing body. It's had an impact on an entire generation of people. I mean, we don't even know all the impacts, uh, all the ways this has changed us. What I do know is that there have been times where I've left my phone at home and I don't feel right. I feel naked without right. it. And right. that's very concerning, right? right? Like, have you ever been somewhere? You're like, all right, I, you leave it in your car. Like maybe you're going right. to the cleaners or something. You leave it there and you're just kind of like, you're at the stoplight and you're just kind of shaking. You're just kind of like, yo, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> that's very concerning, man. Like, and ima- here's the thing, Charles, you and I, I'm 35 and you're only a few years older than me. Like we grew up in high school without cell phones, okay? Can you imagine what it's like being a kid who's literally all of their life they've had a cell phone? It must be even worse. Now, I know why Cliff Kingsbury does it. I did have a pager, though, in high school. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Wait a minute. I still know know all my old pager codes. Yeah, I did. I still knew all my my pager codes. Yeah, absolutely. What, were you running numbers? (laughs) Were you doing drugs? Were you selling drugs? I did. I had a teal green Motorola pager. Charles Robinson? (laughs) (laughs) I did. Teal green Motorola pager. 
And I knew all my friends had the codes. Like I knew what code was to what friend, like what was going on, like how important it was. Yeah, no, it was great. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, my God. But Charles, uh, you... I'm with you. I pull I pull to the now. It's interesting. And I, I would encourage everyone to do this. When you pull to a stoplight now, okay, and you're sitting there or, or even better, a train, like or anything where the car is stopped, look in every single car next to you. Everybody's Nobody is looking ahead. Down, dude. Everyone's on their phone. It's insane the number of people that are on their phones in their car. And I'm guilty of it. Charles, another situation like that, go out to dinner with people. Yeah. Go out yep. to dinner with people in a dead spot. And just everybody. One guy looks <laughs> at their phone, everybody does it. I don't know, man. Like it so like the technology's obviously been great in some ways, but in other ways, man, we've lost maybe the art of uh just communication it, yeah connection it's, it's you know crazy, inter- interpersonal connection without without a yeah. device in between our faces i look i'll give kingsbury credit i think it's interesting i think it's forward thinking if this is something he saw in college and that's i think that's what he tried to say is right. listen i'm trying to break up the monotony of meetings guys sit in these meetings their eyes glaze over they stop listening you're losing their attention span so cliff kingsbury and i think this is where the younger element is coming into football and it's going to piss people off is cliff kingsbury sitting there at texas tech <laughs> and he's saying how can i keep these 18 19 20 year old guys engaged in a 2 hour 3 hour whatever however long meeting i have to let them have their breaks and and the funny thing is i as i said with packaging if Cliff, if Cliff Kingsbury had just said, I'm just going to give them breaks every half an hour, like a five yeah. minute break, and he didn't say cell phone break, I think people would have yeah. said, OK, all right. Like he's he's there's some methodology to what he's doing. The problem is he said cell phone breaks and social media. And he talked about social media, which people are going to connect to millennials and they're going to yep. say, this is bullshit. Now we have more. Now people need to nobody can sit for half an hour. But. I'm with you. I've been out to dinner. You know, Don and I go out to dinner and it's like, stop looking at your phone. So I flip the phone, you know, I flip it upside down. But inevitably, as you're sitting there, the phone vibrates and then it vibrates again. And then it vibrates. And pretty soon after like 10 minutes, I'm like, okay, I've got like 20 updates and like calls and like text messages on my phone. And all I want to do is flip that phone over to see what's going on. Yeah. And I think these guys about probably this? go through that in these meetings. How about this, Charles? When you get up in the morning, right? What's the first thing you do? Reach for the phone. First thing. You got it. And, and you're hoping that you don't see some tweet that you missed. Or yep. I do the same. The first thing I do, I wake up, nightstand, check it, any text. Oh, I might have a little news here. Tweet it out, blah, blah. It's crazy, man. So, like, I guess to me, the fact that Kingsbury said it doesn't like surprise me. It's a progressive thing, but it actually makes a lot of sense. And and it's not like, let's be real here. We know the guys we cover, including coaches and executives. It's not like these guys who are in their 40s, 50s, you know, some of them in their 60s. It's not like they don't use their phones. And, and I shared Absolutely. with you, I think it was Christmas morning. I told you it was like Christmas morning. 4 a.m. My phone dings with a text message, <laughs> and I told you this. And it was it was story. Yes. it was a coach, and 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 you know, Don's like, "What the hell 
is going on? Who is texting you at 4 a.m. in the morning? So, of course, Dude. I got to look because I'm like, know. what is going on? <laughs> and you and and the funny thing is, you know who it was. I can't say who it was, but I, you know who it was because I'm like, you would never believe this. So I look at my phone and I'm just like, what is wrong with this man? And it had nothing to do with Christmas. It had nothing. He wanted to talk about something that was All going these- on in the hiring phase of the NFL and coaching searches. And I'm like... And so you know where he sent that from. It wasn't from his computer. It wasn't from it was from <laughs> his phone. Yep. And he was in the same time zone as me, which means at 4 a.m. he's sending me text messages on Christmas. Awesome. It's like, yeah, man. I'm, I'm that happens to all of us too, man. Like it wasn't too long ago. Yeah, I was in bed. It was like 11 something or whatever. And you get that text that, you know, and Evs is like, who is that? Because <laughs> it's, right. it's a little beyond the texting time. Right. And it's you like, need to and show start, it. You need to and be then like, I'm starting here. to go to work. And then right. I'm starting to go to work. She's like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> so the, the point is, like, these guys, we're all, we're all screwed, dude. Like, if the machines ever took over, dude, like, you know, we, we're all in trouble. Leave Cliff what? alone. Right? Just leave him yeah, alone. Yeah, basically. Like it, right. Yeah, come on, dude. Just like, let him do what he's got to do. If he thinks this is how he keeps his guys engaged, just leave him alone. Let him engage his team the way he needs to engage his team. One other thing about Cliff that I thought was interesting. Of course, he was asked about Kyler Murray. Right. Who you and I have both said we expect to go number one, right? Right. But his, his, what he was saying about Kyler was so glowing. He said that I think he's like Michael Vick. And he has the ability to be a true drop back passer, too. And it was more complimentary than what he said about Josh Rosen. All right. he said about Josh Rosen was that he was a cerebral guy and that he didn't buy people who said that he couldn't fit into the scheme because they, some of the things he did at UCLA fit what Cliff wants to do. Those two, th- those two comments about a guy's ability are not the same. So to me, I, I, am I crazy to think no. that that? Okay, all right. Because I, so I was I like, wow. Okay, And it, it goes deeper. It goes deeper than that. What I thought, and, and you're actually touching on something I'm going to end up writing. I don't know if it's in the next couple of days or next week. It, either Cliff Kingsbury is really smart at this or he's really terrible at this. And let me explain <laughs> why. You touched on it. You said comparing the Josh Rosen to Kyler Murray comments. I think it was even better when someone finally asked him about Nick Bosa and Quinn and Williams. Yeah. And he was like, Something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing here, yeah, you know, uh, they're both really good uh, players. They're both impact guys. You know, those are very, um, you know, like just the total cliche, like surface answer, right? 15 second soundbite where I'm like, man, either he doesn't know anything about the defensive prospects (laughs) or he wasn't prepared for someone saying, well, geez, if you're not taking Kyler, it's probably one of these defensive guys. You must know a lot about him. He didn't seem to know a lot about the defensive guys. And I sat there and I'm like, either he is so good at this that he knew, let me play dumb on the defensive guys, or he's just so bad at this that he just wasn't prepared for someone to finally say, well, hey, what about Nick Bosa? And he didn't have almost anything to say about Nick Bosa or Quinn. Because you're right. Like If if you're really going to just keep Josh Rosen and you're looking at, you're probably going to take Nick Bosa or Quinnen. And you probably talk those guys up a little bit, right? You probably right. say, hey, Quinnen Williams, great athlete, great intangibles, great football player. Think right. he's going to be an all-pro Great one day. meeting, right? Nick, we had a great right. meeting with him, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Nick Bosa, the same type of deal. Great bloodlines, could easily be a great player in this league. But just 15 seconds, huh? 
Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. I just meanwhile sat there he's going into was, detail about Michael Vick, right? Kyle right. Murray, <laughs> right. right? He's like he's like waving the pom poms for Kyle, and I'm just sitting there, and I was laughing because I was like, "There's no way he was ready for this defensive player question." Like he just either Dude. that or he just it was funny, oh. and I thought, "Man, how long have we gone before someone really pushed him on the defensive players?" And then it just finally happened, and it felt like he just. He just either didn't know, wasn't ready, or or is seriously playing some high level chess. Okay, if that's I, I got, who they're going to draft. Hey, I, I got something I want to talk with you about because uh, I actually might write some variation of this at some point, right? Like, let's say they take Kyler Murray. Number one, real quick, what's the best you think they could get for Josh Rosen? Like a second, a third? Like, what do you think they could get? So I had someone tell me, and I don't believe this. I'm going to just flat out. Okay. State, I do not believe this. Okay. Um, I was talking to a team guy. It was not his team, but he identified another team he thought would be involved in the Josh Rosen trade. And he said, I believe they would be willing to give up two second round picks. I don't okay. think that's, I don't believe that. I don't think that's okay. true. I think I'm thinking a second and a fifth. That's what I'm that's thinking. A conditional, a conditional, yeah. right. conditional right? Like if you're going to get back a second round pick, it might not even be this year. Right. Because you know how these teams like they want they like to hoard their picks for the coming year because they've done a lot of work. on. OK, right. Maybe it'd be a second and a fourth or something. Right. Or a conditional what, whatever. If you weren't getting the second pick this year, are there any benefits to keeping both those guys and just letting them fight it out? No. And there there is a precedent for this happening in the late 80s. The Dallas Cowboys had Troy Aikman and also Steve Walsh. And at the and it, look, now you're just like, how is that even a thing? But it's you like have 30 to remember, years ago. You have <laughs> going to go 30 you, years on this one. Exactly, though. <laughs> but you have to remember, Jimmy Johnson coached Steve Walsh in Dallas right, uh, right. at Miami. And they, to- they chose Steve Walsh with a supplemental pick, their first-round pick. And they had to give up a first-round pick in the next draft. And they basically let them battle it out. My point is, I do wonder if there's something to that. And – Especially if you can't get the second round pick this year. If if you if the best you can do is a second next year and a conditional fourth, if Cliff Kingsbury really believes that Josh Rosen, if he really believes Josh Rosen could has the potential to be okay, we know Steve Kime does because he drafted the guy. Why not let the best man win? I I will just tell you out of practicality, and I'm confident in saying that I know this. If they were to draft Kyler Murray and Josh Rosen isn't off the roster. Josh Rosen's agent, Brian Williams of Athletes First, picks up the phone and he calls Steve Kime and he goes, we're never showing up again. Either you deal the kid by the end of the draft. I am calling every media member and I'm telling you, we have demanded a trade. Josh is not going to be in your next camp. He's not going to be in any of your OTAs. He's not. It's done. So either you deal him by the end of this draft. Or we're not showing up. I, I am confident in saying that Athletes First is the kind of agency, CAA, you know, there's a handful of them that just are not going to put up with that. And they will absolutely instantaneously say, you're taking the kid off your roster because he's not showing. Your confidence in saying that makes me feel like that's already been decreed. They absolutely will not. <laughs> st- I, will, I will just say no, they will not stand for Kyler Murray going number one. And Josh Rosen still being on that roster. They will not stand for that. Here's the thing. Like, you're really good at, like, couching it. Like, if you don't know it, you'll kind of, like, you know. But you're – you are so convinced about it. I feel like he's going to get traded now. Thank you. That's good. I feel like there's no I, chance. Listen, 
If, if. I, I feel like you, I feel like this is one of those times Charles knows something, but he can't say. If he's on the roster when the draft starts, okay? <laughs> like if they, listen, if Josh Rosen is on their roster and the clock begins to tick, it means that Kyler Murray's not the first pick, okay? And, and if he is, it means that Rosen has no idea. Athletes First mm. has no idea. I'm going to tell you right now how this is going to go. And I'm, I'm completely confident in saying this. If this stretches on into late, April, and we're approaching draft day. Athletes first is going to go to Steve Kahn and they're going to go, What's what do you we need to know? You what are you yep. doing? You have to tell us right now what you're doing. And there's no more of this. You have to either assert publicly that Josh is your quarterback and you're done with this, or you have to tell us privately, we are not taking Kyler Murray. We're taking a defensive player. Josh is fine. Whatever. They're gonna they're gonna demand that. And then if the draft starts. I am just telling you it will be all out war between that agency and the team if they were to draft Kyler Murray without letting Josh Rosen's representation know. See, that makes a lot of sense to me, right? And I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that it's just business. Like, would they do this for all their quarterbacks? Or I wonder if they would do this based on Josh Rosen's personality. If I threw that to you, what would you say? I think it is based on their belief and the belief of the organization that when they took Josh Rosen only a year ago and they and mm-hmm. they moved picks to be able to take mm-hmm. Josh Rosen, they invested additional picks to trade into that spot and take Josh Rosen, that he was their presumed starter going forward. This is who they were building around. That 100% was what they were led to believe. Now, now if that plan changes, as you said, that's business. And, and I think they can deal with that being business. But they're going to look at the Cardinals and they're going to say, do good business. Our guy just right, let got us shelled. Yeah, yeah, our guy just know. got shelled between but behind a poor offensive line, a bad team around him. And now you're not only doing that, you not only made him take the hit his rookie year, now you're undercutting him with another player? Get out of here. Don't you think that will be the precedent for any first-round quarterback yes. at this point? Yes. I think second-round picks wouldn't have. So, like, that's the thing. Like, if it's a first-round quarterback and you do that two years in a row, one of them guys got to go. A yeah. second round pick, eh, right. little less, little less to stand on. I think it's an interesting dichotomy, and, and actually a really good example of how things have changed in thirty years. Speaking of unhappy players, uh, we said we were going to do question and answer time. You know, we're going to try and make that a regular thing. And I actually, do have a pretty good question this week from Ryan Scott Hall. Here's what he said: Quick question based off your Eric Berry conversation on the latest podcast. You mentioned all the logs and the fire Berry has for 2019 after his release. But do you think he would have had the same motivation had Kansas City kept him around? Hmm. I definitely think that Eric Berry is going to play this year. I think he wants to play this year. I think he is kind of locked in on playing this year. And I don't, as a base, I don't know how much that changes. But I definitely think it's probably going to get kicked to another gear because of this. You know, we did talk about how he didn't expect to be cut, and it happened. And, you know, in some ways it's business, some ways it's cold-blooded, right? Because he didn't get really get a chance to start kind of gauging his market. But he is the type of player who, in my experience, takes every slight personally and uses it as motivation. And if you're not that type of guy, you don't come back from cancer to be a two-time All-Pro. So it's reasonable to think that, yeah, he still would have been locked in on playing football. But is he at a different point now than he was a couple weeks ago? Yes. I think it all comes down to, and this is after talking to people in Dallas following his visit, 
And I think even for Dallas, honestly, it comes down to how much are you going to know and really how much is Eric going to know about his own physical limitation coming back from injury, okay? And and that is clearly Dallas was concerned about that versus the money, the financial asking price, where Eric Berry wanted to be compensated, which is going to be high amongst the safeties. He's If he wants that money, he may have to wait a little while and prove to a team Here's where I'm at in April. Here's where I'm at. I mean, it'll be interesting. This could be something. I think people should keep an eye on it. This could be something that stretches out a little longer than people realize. And Eric could take his time and teams could take their time until they feel like they're 100% on this. The same way we're seeing Adama Kinsu is dangling out there on the free agent. You know, Ziggy Ansah is a guy who, because of health concerns, it's the shoulder concern. Yeah, he's Ziggy Ansah could be. I mean, minimum a month away from even really getting a real look. They want to do a medical recheck on his shoulder. So, you know, there's going to be some time where a few of these guys sit back and they say, you know, let's check this out in a month from now. Let's see where this guy is. I think Eric Bear is going to be one of those guys unless someone just takes that leap now. So I think, you know, for Eric, I don't think I think the motivation's there. It's just is the body willing to be 100 percent, you know, once the regular season rolls around. So. There's no doubt about the motivation to me. I think, like you said, he'll be with those guys, you know, the Sues and the answers. And I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with all of them. All right. This was a pretty good one, man. Um, good conversation. You can follow me on Twitter at Therese Paler. You can follow Charles on Twitter at Charles Robinson. Give the Yahoo Sports NFL Twitter handle a follow as well. Um, make sure you download the new and improved Yahoo Sports app while you're at it. Pretty good stuff there. Pretty important. We'd appreciate it if you do that. And also... Rate and review us. And Charles, give your weekly spiel here. Yeah, rate and review us, man. What are we on? 238, right? Yeah. We're trying to get yeah. we're trying to get to 300 by draft day. And man, I don't know. I don't know. This <laughs> might be in jeopardy here. We need some uh we need some, we need some, some uh, rating and reviewing. A we late need some push. people in there. Yeah, we do need a late push. So, so what? That's 60 62 between now and the end of April. That gives us roughly a month between now and the draft to get 62 ratings, please, 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 please do it. We're taking the time out. We're going to try and help you out in any way we can. Um, And, uh, you know, get us there by draft day. We're going to have some more stuff for you, obviously, draft-wise. Very draft-heavy in April. Expect that. Especially if we answer your question on the podcast. Like, we take the time to answer the question. (laughs) Take take the 10 seconds to rate and review us and give us a positive review. It's not that hard. All you got to do is go to... Go to our podcast on iTunes. You give us the five stars. Just say, great podcast, very informative. It literally takes 10 seconds. Listen, listen, listen. If if we're answering your question on the podcast, you better be calling grandma. You better be calling your niece. (laughs) You better be saying, listen, listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Give them a stream and give us some reviews. Rate us. You know, this is important to us. We want it to be important to the audience. Absolutely. Okay, we'll be back next week. We appreciate your time, guys. Peace. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate... You can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. 
Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.